0: Grace, Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At the early service this morning, I was greeted by one of the elders or ushers who asked me, How was your Easter? I responded by saying, Well, at least I got out of prison. Now, some of you know that I spend uh, a week there down at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana about sometimes three, sometimes four times a year. We were down there during Holy Week. I did manage to be paroled on a Friday so that we could make it to the Metroplex, Dallas-Fort Worth area to spend Easter at two different churches, heard two different sermons, uh, dynamic worship with just a chance to be with our son and his wife and our daughter and our grandson. But it was while I was teaching uh, the book of Galatians in prison, I happened to mention casually that I had done something every Sunday of every year that I've ever been a pastor. And somebody came up and said, well, Doc, what was it that you do every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? And I said, I write a sermon. I have written a sermon every week that I have been a pastor. He says, well, do you preach them all every week? I said, no, because sometimes... You know, when I've had more than one assistant or associate, somebody else has preached. But I got in the habit a number of years ago that even if I didn't preach them, I'd record them and put them on my website where people, if they cared to, could listen to them. And he said, well, what are you going to preach about next? And I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing a series of messages on First John. That was before I knew that the epistle lesson today was from First John. So you folks here at Redeemer and Nix are going to hear the sermon on First John chapter one. The people at Redeemer in Springfield next week are going to hear it on chapter two. And after that you'll have to hunt up my website to hear three, four, and five or whatever it is. But I, I really enjoy First John. Let me tell you a little bit about it. First John is a book of certainties. The word no appears rather frequently in this book. In fact it's thirty eight different times if you count. Uh, The key idea is that the Christian life is a life of knowing. It's a life of assurance. John states very clearly that we can know God. We can know where we stand with God. We can know what God expects of us. We can know God's will. We can know that our prayers are being heard. James, also writing about this, said that the Christian life is a way of walking in the light. So today we're going to talk about walking in the light and see if we can learn the truth about forgiveness. Now, some of you may remember, how many of you had an Etch-A-Sketch growing up? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. I had one. I wasn't very good. Uh, I sometimes could make a straight line. Uh, Sometimes I could make it go to the right and left. You know, some of you could maybe write your own name. I never quite conquered that. But some people with a little bit more artistic ability, like my wife, although she didn't do this either, could actually draw the Taj Mahal. Now, the really cool thing about the Etch-A-Sketch, you know, that when you're all done, you just kind of flipped it over, you shook it real hard, and what happened? You turn it back over, and you had a blank page one more time. Well, 1 John 1, verse 9 is the etch-a-sketch verse of Scripture. It says very clearly, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a very simple, straightforward promise stated in language that I believe that everybody can read, hear, and understand. Now, the condition is that we need to confess our sins. We've already done that in the service this morning. The promise is that after we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will do what? He will wipe away our sins. He wipes our slate clean, if you will. Now, that almost sounds too good to be true, right? I mean, it almost, you kind of say, is it really that easy? See, when we hear about God's generous attitude toward forgiveness, we often come back with this kind of simple question, you know, if God guarantees my forgiveness, does that mean I can commit any sin I want and God will still forgive me? Well, it kind of reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw a number of years ago that said, how many sins can I commit and still get to heaven? Well, the person who asked that question is approaching Christianity a little bit backwards, in fact, knows very little about what it means to be A Christ follower. See, the focus of the Christian life is not about getting your sins forgiven so that you can get into heaven, though that's part of it. But let's remember, God always has a whole lot more in store for us than we ever can even ask or imagine. It's like having a job. You know, everyone who works is entitled to get paid, but uh, no customer or no employer really wants to deal with a worker who's only there for the money. We've probably all known people like that. Maybe we've even worked with people like that. They don't like their work. They don't like their boss. They don't like the people they're working for. All they want is a paycheck. Now, I've been a boss on several occasions. You know, when you're the senior pastor of large churches with big staff, you have a lot of people on there. And I can tell you that people who did not like me, who did not like our church, who did not like what we stand for, they were not long for the job and they were not going to be very productive or effective. In fact, can you imagine, I want you to pretend for a moment that you're a boss somewhere, and you're doing an interview, and this young guy plops himself down in the chair in front of you, and he says, I don't really care about your product. I don't really care about your customers. I don't even like your company's goal or vision or mission statements. I just want to know what's the least amount of work I can do and still get a paycheck. I mean, how many of you would hire that person? And yet, you know, Christians think that way on occasion. It's kind of like, what's the least amount of stuff I can do? I mean, what's the minimum I have to do? And what's the maximum I can get away with? And though most people would never quite say it that way, uh, if we're honest, sometimes we do that from time to time. So today, as we kind of walk through 1 John, these verses here, I want to challenge you to think this way. How can I maximize my relationship with God and in the process minimize my sinful behavior? And we're going to call this walking in the light. And as we're going to see, this includes where you stand with God, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that your prayers are being heard, knowing that you have the power to change, and knowing that God is with you. And on and on and on. And this happens when you, as Christ followers, start following and walk in the light of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three different areas today. And this is number one. You must come to grips with your sin. Now, there's an old joke that's told about a Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teacher asks the kids in class, kids, what must we do first in order to be forgiven of our sin? Little boy raised his hand and he said, well... First, you have to sin. And that's true. You have to sin, and guess what? You guys have already accomplished that step. You guys are really good at it. So am I. But then you have to acknowledge it. You've got to face that sin and face the consequences. The truth is, we tend to be better on the first step than the second step. I mean, if we're honest with each other. We often try to... Uh, deny the existence of our sin and I I always go back to one man who came to my office a number of years ago and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you about a momentary indiscretion that I just experienced now I gave him the same look I see a few of you have (laughs) Like a momentary indiscretion and I said what was that? Well, Pastor, I thought I should come to you and explain how I, I experienced this momentary indiscretion and I need your help. And I said, oh, are you talking about some sin you did? And he said, oh, gosh, Pastor, I don't like that word. Don't say that word. See, he didn't want to hear the harsh realities of what it was really like. You see, we're pretty good when we just kind of confess generally. But when we start getting down to specific sins, don't we all start making mistakes? I'm going to share with you some of the the ways I've diminished some some specific sins in my life. It goes this way. Well, I know I lost my temper, but let me tell you, I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for what you said first. You ever do that one? How about this one? Nancy, you made me do it. It's your fault. Or, look, if you knew how much stress I was under as pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church, you'd understand that every once in a while I've got to let off some steam. Or, man, I just haven't been feeling well lately. Or, I know it made you mad, but you deserved it. Do you ever try any of those? Maybe they sound familiar, because when we get to some specific sins, we tend to try to explain them away. Well, there were extenuating circumstances. Or, well, it's not really, it's not a big sin. It's just one of those white lies. I never quite understood the difference between white and black. There's a book I read a number of years ago that I really enjoyed. It's called Blue Like Jazz. It is written by a guy named Donald Miller. And he writes about his atheist friend, Laura. And she'd been struggling with the idea of God for some time, but she was almost at the verge of believing. And he was trying to persuade her, finally, uh, to take that last step and receive Christ as their Savior. And this is what he wrote in his book. He said to Laura, God is wanting a relationship with you, and that starts by confessing directly to Him. He is offering forgiveness. Laura responded, You're not making this easy, Don. I don't exactly believe I need a God to forgive me of anything. When I read that, I remember writing in the margin, Wow. See, therein lies the problem. This is the obstacle to walking in the light. It's our unwillingness to face our sinfulness. And he he went on, he wrote this. Laura, the entire world is falling apart because nobody will admit they are wrong. But by asking God to forgive you, you're willing to own your own part of the mess. And see, that is where walking in the light begins. You'll see these next passages. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him, that's God, out to be a liar, and His word has no place in our heart. Now, I hope you notice in that very first verse, verse 8, he's talking about sin, but he's talking about our sinful nature. The psalmist said, we were conceived in sin, we were born in sin, or if you want a giant seminary word today, concupiscence. You just plain simple are sin. That's just who we are. But in verse 10, he's also talking about sin, but now he's talking about our sinful behavior, that which we do. And so we need to come to grips with both. One is just the fact that we are just sinful people in the second part, and we also do sinful things. We need to come to grips with both. Now, I always enjoy the fact that uh, Jeff's always told me, you know, whatever you want to do with the order service, you want to change it here or there, go ahead and do it. I almost changed it this week, and rather than put the word confession and absolution, I wanted to put the word in there instead of confession, coming to grips with sin. Because that's really what it means. Confession is pivotal pivotal to walking in the light. John says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we come to grips with our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So confessing your sins is really coming to grips with your sins and admitting to God. See, confess means to agree. In effect, what's happening here is you are agreeing to say the same thing that God says about your sins. Confession is saying the same thing about your behavior that God already says about it. Confession means you stop deluding yourself or fooling yourself about so-called momentary indiscretions or excuses, and you just come clean and you fully admit, this is who I am. Now, I don't pay a lot of attention to news. Don't watch much news. I read a few trustworthy sites. But I've always been interested by corporate lawsuits for some reason or another. One of the things that always kind of intrigues me is when a large settlement is paid to some claimant that followed with a stipulation that says, XYZ company admits no wrongdoing. And yet they just wrote a $5 million check out to somebody. Somehow that doesn't seem to balance out, does it? But as Christians, we kind of do the same thing, in a way. We say, I'll pray certain prayers. I'll sing certain songs. I'll show up Sunday and I'll be good. And, but there's no way you're going to get me to admit that I'm not just at least a little bit better than those people who didn't show up this morning. I mean, there's no way you're going to get me to admit that maybe I shortchanged my boss at work and on and on. Now, that's the attitude of, I'll pay the fine, but I'll admit no wrong. It kind of keeps us out of this dynamic relationship with God. We start wandering off the lit, the lit path, and we start walking into darkness. See, friends, you and I need to see ourselves the same way God sees us. You come to grips with who you are and what you've done, and you confess it to Him, and you know what happens next. Well, here it comes. You can rely on God to cleanse you. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now the question is, who deserves forgiveness? I got news for you. None of you deserve it. And neither do I. Neither do I. See, forgiveness is never given based on who deserves it. It's always based on God's faithfulness. You can't earn God's forgiveness. You can only receive God's forgiveness. And and Christ followers who kind of get a handle on that biblical truth begin to experience that transforming power of God's presence in their life. You see, once we get past that idea that somehow we can earn that which he's only willing to give us, life really begins to change. Now, I've also met a lot of Christians in my life as a pastor that they kind of doubt that they're actually forgiven because they're not sure that they did a really good enough job of repenting. They said things to me like, I'm not really sure I convinced God that I was really sorry. Uh, Or, I'm not sure I cried enough tears when I confessed. I'm not sure I feel guilty enough. I wonder if I... I confess earnestly enough. I mean, I mean did, I, did I succeed in earning God's forgiveness? And when I've heard that, I've always just kind of looked at them and said straightforward, I can assure you that you didn't do any of those things. You didn't feel guilty enough. You didn't cry enough tears. You didn't confess earnestly enough. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. But, and here, isn't that interesting? I love that word in the Bible. I want to write a devotion book someday called But. Dot, dot, dot. The wages of sin is death. How's that passage go on? But, the gift of God is eternal life. So there it is. Here, here's, here's the but. You can have it. It's because He is faithful and just. He said, I will forgive you. That's the, that's the only guarantee you need. It's got nothing to do with you. Look at these next two passages. Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. Speaking of God, his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. And then look at Romans 3. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our actual acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. There are all kinds of other Bible passages we could look at. Hebrews 6.18, for example, says that it's impossible for God to lie. I mean, he said he will forgive you. What does that mean? It means that he will forgive you. He makes it plain. He will forgive you of what? Of all unrighteousness. Every sin you have ever committed, every sin that you ever will commit, God's mercy can cover. I've often said in sermons, there is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your life. Or your past, your present, or your future. Look at 1 John 2.2. 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Did you ever wonder what happened during those three hours of darkness on the cross on Good Friday? The only illustration I could come up with in that darkness was as if if you could imagine this gigantic cesspool. You know what a cesspool is, that foul, smelly place full of garbage and refuge and everything. But imagine that cesspool is just clogged with all the sins of the universe from the beginning of time. All the sins that would ever be accumulated, as long as this world lives, and there are streams running into that cesspool that are just full of slime and gunk and all kinds of stuff like that. And during those three hours, it's as if God took that giant cesspool and he dumped it on his son's head. And during those three hours, as the sins of the world, past, present, and future, just covered him, you can only imagine... I mean, you can begin to understand why Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, it was enough. That's why he said at the end, that Greek word, Tetelestai, it's finished. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. There's no co-pay involved with it. You can only receive it. And this is where people often stumble. They say, if forgiveness is freely given and all I have to do is ask for it, what's to prevent me from sinning with reckless abandon? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why you don't want to sin with reckless abandon. <laughs> First of all, the consequences should be enough to prevent you from doing it. And if you don't believe that, I would would gladly take you to Angola Prison in Louisiana and show you guys and let you talk to guys who will tell you what reckless wild living is all about. And, And you can ask them, how did it work out for you? I mean, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In Louisiana, the wages of sin three times is life imprisonment without parole. Sin indulged only brings about destruction. But there's a second deeper reason we don't indulge sin. It's because our fellowship with God is totally dependent on our walking in the light and walking in obedience with Him. And walking in the light means close obedience to God. And it is is so great that the so-called pleasure of sin begins to pale in comparison to what fellowship with our Lord is all about. Now I'm going to give you an example here. I'm going to talk about something that people often say you should never talk about in church. But I'm going to talk about it. Gossip. I've said it. Now I've got to talk about it, right? Let's say a person loves to gossip. I don't know if that person is here this morning or not, but if they are, they'll tell you why they didn't like the sermon this morning later. Or something else. They just love to talk about people. They get a certain pleasure when they hear something bad about a person, and then they get even greater pleasure by going and telling somebody else all about it. But let's understand something, friends. Gossip is a sin, and the Bible makes it clear that it's a sin on the same level as fornication and murder. But it is often a sin that people think that they can indulge or kind of get away with. So day after day, this person who's quite pleased with himself spiritually looks for bad stuff to say about all the people they know. And day after day, they take great delight in sharing all of that garbage, all of the misfortune of other people with other people. And little by little, what happens to them? They lose their joy of fellowship with Jesus. They lose the joy of fellowship with other people. Other people don't want to be around them anymore. I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. (laughs) They break hearts. They wound people with their careless words. Their prayers start losing their power. They stop getting answers. They, they suddenly don't have the wisdom to make godly decisions. They become jaded and bitter because they see other Christians experiencing something that's not working for them. And they spend their days kind of running their mouth and stumbling around in the dark. Now the question is, when they ask for forgiveness, will God forgive them of that sin of gossip? Well, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. But what if they go out the next day and gossip some more? Will God still forgive that sin? Absolutely. I mean, but, you know, will they keep on doing it over and over again? If they go back and confess, will God forgive it over and over again? Yes, he will. I wonder how many people are sitting here thinking this morning this. You know, Dr. Kolb, if they were really sincere in their confession, they wouldn't gossip anymore. Hmm. How's that working for you right now? When was the last time you ever confessed a sin and then never, ever did it again? I'd like to meet you after the service. I've, I've really never met an almost perfect person yet. See, even when we're sincere in our confessions, let, let's I must be honest, friends. We still stumble and we still fall. See, sin, for some people, is not a question if I can get away with this because God will forgive me. It's a matter of I don't want to do any, have anything to do with it because I want a closer walk with God. I want a life that's walked in the light. I want to have a good relationship with my Christian friends. I, I want to have a dynamic devotional life. I want to be able to see prayers answered consistently. I I want to receive direction from God for wisdom and guidance in my life, and I want to see that I'm accomplishing something in my life as I walk in the Spirit. And see, there's a difference between two people, one who's walking in the dim twilight or in the darkness, and one who walks in the light. Now, immediately after this, John writes something here in 1 John 2, verse 2. He said, My children, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal. That's the goal in our life. But, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, friends, the message title is The Truth of Forgiveness. And here it is. The truth of forgiveness is that God forgives you totally, completely, and without reservation. His goal is that you learn to walk in the light to become like him in this dark world. But there's a third principle here, and it's this. Forgiveness brings people together. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all sin. See, fellowship and forgiveness, it seems like, kind of go together, don't they? Now, there's a stereotype on television of a person who, kind of a sanctimonious person who thinks that because they're right with God, they're probably better than anyone else. But I got news for you, that that kind of person really doesn't exist. Now, I've known people, I've known religious people who thought they were better than other people, but I can assure you they're not better off in God's sight. They're not walking in the light. They are, in John's word, deceiving themselves and making God out to be a liar. See, when you and I experience forgiveness, it affects the way we begin to look at other people. I mean, how can I be judgmental of another person when God's forgiven me of my judgmental opinions? How can I begin to gossip about other people when I know God has fully forgiven my, my nastiness of gossip? It just changes how I look at people. I walk in and what do I see in every church? I see people who are struggling to walk in the light. And part of that walking in the light is learning that they've sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. But they have confessed that sin and God has forgiven them. And now they walk forward hand in hand with other believers. I mean, we call ourselves the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. But guess what? We are the body of forgiven people too. And forgiven people deal with each other differently. Have you ever dealt with an unforgiving person, you know the difference. Do you know what it's like to be around a lot of people who put their arm around you and say, I understand, been there, done that, but God's forgiven me and God can forgive you too. Let's walk together and solve this problem. See, when believers who are walking the light get together, there's an immediate connection. That's kind of the cool thing. My wife and I have been in a variety of places around this world. I've been in more places than she preaching. But she's often commented that when we step off the plane, for example, in India, you look out and you see a sea of brown faces. But then it's even the same when we get down to prison. You walk into a worship service at night. She commented the very first time I took her to Angola, we were in the A building, a big building, I don't know how many hundreds of guys in there, and she suddenly, she suddenly realized she was standing in the midst of a bunch of people that were serving life sentences for murder, or aggravated sex crimes, or habitual criminals, and her husband had left her standing there because <laughs> he was off talking to somebody. But she commented different times, and you look around, and she said, but I'm in a gathering of believers. I'm in a gathering of believers, and it just changes everything. Changes everything. See, the problem with our sin has been solved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Not only the sins of our past, but our future as well. Jesus paid for them all. So my parting message to you, really, friends, is you can be forgiven. God will forgive you as many times as necessary. Because his goal for you goes far beyond merely wiping the slate clean. He wants you to learn to walk in the light. He wants you to live in a right relationship with Him and in a right relationship with everybody else in your fellowship. He wants you to experience His power. He wants you to experience His wisdom, His presence, His anointing, His, his fullness. He wants you to walk in the light because He is the light. And see, once you get used to, accustomed to walking in the light, it's no longer a question of how much sin can I get away with. It becomes a question of how much sin can I get rid of. And that's because nothing in the world, absolutely nothing in this world, compares with the brilliance of walking in the light of God's love. May God bless you in that forgiven journey. Amen. At this time, as we gather our tithes and offerings, we'll also be watching a stewardship video.